You're listening to ReachMD, this episode of Living Room, titled Exploring the Path from Preclinical to Early PSA, is sponsored by Novartis U.S. Clinical Development and Medical Affairs. The host and speaker have been compensated for their time. This program is intended for healthcare professionals. Here's your host, Dr. Ethan Craig. For many years, a model of disease progression has existed in the rheumatoid arthritis or RA sphere with recognition that autoantibody positivity typically predates disease by up to decades before subsequent progression to clinically apparent RA. More recently, there's also been a great deal of attention to similar patterns that we see in psoriatic arthritis, or what we'll call PSA for short. Patients typically develop psoriasis before the onset of PSA, which then progresses through preclinical early and chronic stages. And these early presentations can be both challenging and extremely important to identify because these may represent a golden opportunity to intervene in the disease process. That's why today we're going to review early PSA and what the progression from preclinical to early PSA looks like. So this is Reach MD, and I'm Dr. Ethan Craig. Joining me to discuss the path from preclinical to early PSA is Dr. Alexis Ogdi. Dr. Ogdi is an associate professor of medicine and epidemiology in the Perlman School for Medicine and is the director of the Penn Psoriatic Arthritis and Spondyloarthritis Program at the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Ogdi, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. I think it's best to start here on definitions. So Dr. Ogdi, how do we define these steps of preclinical and early PSA, and how do they differ from the more typical manifestations of PSA that we see in textbooks? Well, let's start actually from the end. So the patients we see in textbooks or that definition we see in textbooks is usually the patients with established psoriatic arthritis, meaning that they have you know, known joint swelling that you can feel. They've had symptoms going on for some period of time. Maybe they have enthesitis, dactylitis, axial disease. They may have damage on x-ray or imaging or synovial inflammation on imaging. So the idea of creating these earlier steps is to be able to identify these earlier phases and understand what's happening from a pathophysiologic point of view. So Lourdes Perez-Chada was the first author on a paper that we published examining the consensus, kind of getting a consensus for terminology to be used in these preclinical phases. And so the terms that we used are preclinical PSA, meaning that there's really not much to see there. You couldn't see anything on ultrasound, but maybe at the synovial level, you have inflammation that's starting, but it's not apparent yet. And then there's a subclinical phase. That's where if you stuck up ultrasound probe on the joint or the anthesis insertion, you would see actual inflammation. And we know from many studies that this exists in patients with psoriasis. What we don't know is how many people actually go on to develop the disease from that point. And then we have a phase that we call prodromal PSA. This is where you start to get those symptoms, but it's not really obvious on physical examination. Again, you may see it on imaging, and the patient's reporting potentially arthralgias or maybe excessive fatigue. There, sometimes patients are diagnosed with fibromyalgia at this point in their kind of course because they're developing these symptoms, but we just don't see anything on exam yet. And then early PSA is within the first two years of development of swelling. So, you know, that could encompass a lot, and this definition of early PSA is changing and evolving as we kind of learn more about identifying the disease earlier. So still an evolution, but those are, that's kind of where we are from a conceptual standpoint at this point. That's fantastic. Thank you, Dr. Agdi. So if we dig a little further into that pattern, do we have any information on like typical timelines that we see with these transitions? And what ends up being the typical relationship with the onset of skin psoriasis? 
Yeah, also good question. So let's start with the relationship with skin psoriasis. We know this to be highly variable among different studies and different populations. So it's not quite clear if there is a clear relationship with time of onset of psoriasis. There's certainly a proportion of patients that will develop the two within a year of each other. And that seems like a sizable population, but the kind of what we've always used to say is that it's approximately seven, 10 years from the development of psoriasis to the development of PSA on average. I think more recent studies have suggested that may or may not be true. And that the, actually, once you get further out in your course of psoriasis, you may be less likely to develop PSA. So there's still much unknown about that. In terms of what's the general pattern in which how this unfolds, we know from seeing psoriatic arthritis in clinic that it's a highly heterogeneous disease. And we kind of suspect that the unfolding part is actually equally as heterogeneous. So we have to kind of, we need a lot more data to better understand that. And that we've been developing a lot of studies to better understand that unfolding of the disease. Great. So Dr. Ogdi, now that we've spoken a little bit about the patterns and timing of the onset of early and preclinical PSA, let's shift over to some clinical practice points. So, you know, in general practice, we see a pretty wide variety of disease onset timing, as you already mentioned, and this really heterogeneous disease pattern. And unfortunately, we still don't have particularly helpful biomarkers for diagnosis, which can make this a really tough diagnosis to make. So if we zero in on the preclinical population, how do you approach diagnosis? This. You know, I think we all see patients with psoriasis who are experiencing some degree of nonspecific musculoskeletal pain. And how do we sort out then those that may be at higher risk of psoriatic arthritis? Yeah, that's an excellent question and a question we hope to eventually answer. I think at this point, we're still thinking about these things from research concepts as opposed to clinical concepts. We don't have the data yet to know what to do with the patient who has preclinical disease or subclinical disease. So that patient with psoriasis who has you know, inflammation in their wrist, let's say, but is asymptomatic, what do you do about that? It's really not clear yet. I think one of our general concepts is treat the psoriasis. So if they have moderate to severe psoriasis and would benefit from a therapy from that perspective, treat the psoriasis. Next, just managing the symptoms and monitoring the symptoms. So I can think of a patient that Joel Gelfan, one of our colleagues, sent me about five years ago. And the patient had this toe pain. There was really nothing there, a little bit of stiffness in the morning, but really nothing on exam. And even the patient didn't notice any swelling. And it was about five years later, about six months ago, that he reappeared in my clinic with dactylitis. So clearly there was something probably brewing at that point, but you know, it didn't interfere with his quality of life. It was just this annoying symptom that was picked up on questioning. So I don't know exactly, you know, how, if I would have gone back in time, would I have prevented that from happening? Well, he was being treated for his psoriasis, so we were kind of doing the best we could. Now, we don't generally just treat those patients with psoriasis and musculoskeletal pain with biologics or DMARDs, let's say. You would want to really see the swelling before you commit them to a course of therapy for PSA. On the other hand, if they have moderate severe psoriasis, that's a good reason to treat them anyway. And then you may see if the joint inflammation or the joint symptoms reduce. We really don't know if we should be treating subclinical PSA. And in fact, there's a trial that's being launched right now to address that specific question. We're going to treat patients with psoriasis who have musculoskeletal inflammation on ultrasound or other risk factors for PSA and watch for development of PSA or imaging findings of PSA. So keep an eye out for that trial. But right now, there's not very much known about what to do with those patients except for to monitor and address those musculoskeletal symptoms conservatively. 
Great. Thank you. So, you know, knowing, as you said, that there's going to be a degree of uncertainty in treating these patients, how do you approach managing those with suspected preclinical or early PSA? I mean, you mentioned, for example, the treating the psoriasis. Do you find yourself employing these immunomodulatory therapies in preclinical patients? And in those, for example, with less severe psoriasis, how do you decide in whom you might, you know, target arthritis as opposed to just the psoriasis? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I think first and foremost, I always try to look for the swelling or find the swelling. So if they're having pain, find the inflammation and then have a target to go after. So then you know what to monitor to see if things are getting better. Just targeting pain or joint pain is really not that effective because we know that joint pain happens for all kinds of reasons. And if you really don't see swelling or there's nothing on imaging, then you start with physical therapy, NSAIDs, and so on, and just follow clinically and you know be patient for that to kind of come out, be, be observant as well. So making sure that you're seeing those patients once a year, let's say, that's typically my practice is to see those patients once a year, but to try to do all the conservative things that we can do to manage their joint pain. But if we started treating everyone with joint pain, we would be likely over-treating by a lot because we know that a lot of patients with psoriasis have joint pain, and many of those won't progress. So what are some risk factors for progression or things that we might want to keep a closer eye on somebody or do a little more digging? So one of them is obesity. Patients with obesity are more likely to develop psoriatic arthritis. That's been shown in a number of studies, all of which has essentially been positive. So, and the degree to which that causes PSA or why is really unknown, but targeting obesity and advocating for weight loss is important. Depression is also associated with development of PSA, and it's not quite clear if this is part of the prodromal phase and they're just, you know, not feeling well and so they feel depressed, or there's some cytokine issue that's causing, you know, that's associated biologically with the depression. None of this is clear yet. But treating the depression is helpful in improving joint pain. So, you know, some of these other risk factors also are helpful to intervene on, we think, at this point. So no data yet, except for there is one study that suggests that weight loss did reduce development of PSA in patients with obesity. Other things that people might look at are the nails. So if you have nail pitting, for example, you may be more likely to think that patient may be at risk for PSA. And that might just be because the anthesis is inflamed and causing those nail pits. So again, nothing that would change how you intervene, but it's maybe some things that you might think about more closely in terms of, not, nothing that would change the way you intervene with biologics, let's say, or DMARDs, but at least there's some things to think about and potentially intervene upon the risk factor. Great. That's, I think, a great way to round out our discussion. And I really want to thank my guest for helping us better understand the pathway from preclinical to early PSA. Dr. Agdi, as always, it was great speaking with you today. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. This industry podcast was sponsored by Novartis U.S. Clinical Development and Medical Affairs. If you missed any part of this discussion or to find others in this series, visit ReachMD.com slash living dash room. This is ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge.